Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My, my name is Jeremy K. Gover, and you can follow me on Twitter at GoverTime. That is not Adam Vingan's voice. He is off this week, but I could not think of a better man to step in and fill his shoes. Jeremy K. Gover, of course, former locker room reporter for the Nashville Preds Radio Network and current Nashville sports correspondent for AP Radio Good to see you, my man. I'm glad to have you Good on the show. You, I'm glad to have you here and talking a little Preds hockey, man. It's been a long time since we got to hang out. Uh, the last time, I think, was the playoff game. I think it was game four, maybe. Uh, we got to hang out with each other in what seemed like a makeshift closet. But it was fun anyway. So. <laughs> that sounds a little strange. Me and me and Jeremy over hanging out in a closet. It, uh, it's very, <laughs> very strange. Uh, but that was the game that I, I, I was like on the way out of the building and I was like, I got to beat traffic because I got to get home. And I can't remember what it was, like kids or something. I'm sure it was the mm-hmm. was wife related. And and I was like, okay, they're they're up by a goal. And sure enough, I get down to say goodbye to some other folks in the media. And I had, did not even see the game get tied up in the final like minute and a half. And I, I think I remember telling you like, oh, of course they're going to tie it up now that I'm taking off. And so sure, I think you sure. did say that. Yes, you did say <laughs> sure, that. That's sure, right. they did. Um, all right, so a lot of good stuff on the show. We still have some RFAs unso- uh, unsigned uh, on the show, so we'll talk a little bit about those contracts. I know we talked a lot about it last week, but we'll get your thoughts, Jeremy, uh, some fresh perspective. We do have a couple of those RFAs that have been signed, so we'll get to a couple of those contracts. And and you've spent so much time in the locker room. How many years have you covered the National Predators? So I've covered the National Predators for 11. I was part of the National Predators Radio Network for six of those 11. So you, you were around the players for over a decade, basically. Yes. And a big chunk of the, the, the core of this organization is gone. And so I wanted to get you to tell some stories a little bit later on in the show, because I know you've got a lot of thoughts and experiences with these guys, Pekka and Ryan Ellis and, and, and Victor Arvidsson, and just so many critical pieces of this organization, both on the ice and off. And so I, I really wanted to get your perspective a little bit later on in the show on sort of your experiences with those guys. Um, but before we do all of that, we'll talk... I'm 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 fairly upset about having to do this, Jeremy, but I think we have to address the Jack Eichel conversation at some point. So yeah. we'll, we will do that here on the front end. Maybe do some myth busting. I don't know what you want to call it, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll do that uh, on the front end. But of course, Gold Standard is brought to you by Jaspers, our wonderful friends over on West End. Great happy hour. Great place to watch the Olympics. Um, they got happy hour four to six every single day and then something special for you on the menu Every single evening, 6 p.m. to close. Uh, Deb Paquette does a great job putting that menu together. They got the gold standard cocktail. I, I feel like I've arrived, or at least Adam has arrived, uh, because he got a cocktail named after his podcast, the gold standard. It's a whiskey drink. You can go get it at gold. You can get, go get the gold standard, of course, at Jasper's. Free parking, great menu, great place to watch the game. We love Jasper's. Go to Jasper's. All right. Wh- why do I keep seeing Jeremy? Why do I keep seeing Jack Eichel's name? attached to the Nashville Predators. I mean, I know he's having a, a very, very bizarre relationship evolve with Buffalo or devolve with Buffalo and the injury status. Why is why do Preds fans want Jack Eichel? I know he's a talented player when he's healthy, but why, why is his name even being mentioned? Let's give the basics of the Jack Eichel uh, situation first, okay? So Jack Eichel, every year he's been in the league, that's played a full year. So he's been in the league for six years. Okay, and he's played a full year in five of those, okay? These are his goals in order. 24, 24, 25, 28, 36, okay? Then you flip over to his points. 56, 57, 64, 82, 78. 
These are all phenomenal numbers that the Predators would love to have in their lineup. Now, the other side of that is he makes $10 million a year for five more years. The other part of that is he has an injury history. I mentioned the games earlier. The first year, fine, 81 games, perfectly fine. But the next two years, he had 61 and 67, which isn't, you know, that's a large chunk of time. But at the end of the day, that's still 20 games missing. And then he had 77 and then 68. So again, 68, not full season once again, really. And then last year, of course, he had 21 games. Now, you can make an argument that he's unhappy in Buffalo. Like, that's no secret. Okay, <laughs> But what I'm saying is you can make an argument that those numbers are actually a shell of what he could be on a team that he is motivated to play for. Right? So if he goes to what, maybe a fresh start anywhere is fine. But I find it hard to believe that if he goes to a rebuilding team, Anaheim has been suggested by a lot of people. That Anaheim is, they're interested in acquiring Eichel. I don't, other than maybe the goaltending situation, I don't see what, I don't see the situation really improve too much for Eichel. If they're not a contender, uh, maybe because they're in a bad division, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that Jack Eichel is in a particular situation where he wants out, Buffalo wants to move on, but Buffalo is smart in the sense that they want to get the best package they possibly can. Can the Predators offer that? I mean, they could. Pro- it would probably cost somebody like Tomasino or Tolvanen. Uh, probably a Dante Fabro, which we'll get to later. I mean, it's and then like a first round pick or whatever. It it would take a lot. Now, if you think Jack, if you're a Predators fan, you think Jack Eichel is the answer, then you know for ten million dollars a year, maybe you're willing to do that. I am the biggest David Poyle supporter, and I've been accused as such uh, on several occasions the last you're, couple of years. You're self aware. That's all that matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, but even I would say that you just traded. Uh, Kamenev, which, you know, what it's a wash. But you just traded Ger- Gerard for Turris. That didn't work out, obviously. He's, now you're paying him for another three or four years to do nothing. Uh, you, while, you traded while, for watching, Duch- while watching Gerard excel deep into the playoffs. Yes, exactly right. Uh, you signed Duchesne to an $8 million deal, and that clearly hasn't worked out, except for that first month he was here when he was really motivated. And then you have Ryan Johansson, who I is a player that I actually really like. I really like Ryan Johansson a lot. Yes, he, to be clear, he does need to be better during the regular season. No question about that. But you know what you have in Johansson. You know that you're you're getting a, a guy who puts his best foot forward in the playoffs and when games matter. Okay, I'd rather have that than the inconsistency of Duchesne. Yeah, I, I, agree so, I agree with that. So my point is, is that you've got Johansson at eight million dollars a year for I think it's like five more years. You've got Duchesne for for eight million dollars a year for I think six more years, and those are most people consider those two contracts bad contracts. If you throw the tourist thing in there, which I said earlier, that's a bad deal. Okay. Now, in retrospect, at the time, it looked great. It was like, oh, okay, well, they got to, you know, consistent. Right. But in retrospect, it's not good. That's all, all that in a blender. It all matters because this Jack Eichel thing is $10 million a year. Is it? So is if it- you think he's the answer, then that's fine. But what I'm, my point is, is you have to put all those things into. Yeah. context in the sense that can you afford a 10 million dollar bust can you afford that if his neck issues are a pro- continue to be a problem if he's going to be an injury prone player all that when he's on the ice he's great but Braden, we've seen that over and over again for decades yeah, yeah. And, right? and, if a pl- and and the arguments about the doctors too like he's not even like, right. there, like there, there's there's all this disagreement it's again i'm not saying he's not right in this negotiation because we we aren't in the room but 
you know, when, when it starts making headlines the way it makes headlines, it's sort of a rarity. And, you know, we saw this with Kumar Rocker, actually, with, with Vanderbilt and the Mets. It's like when you have two different sets of doctors disagreeing on stuff, we're sort of left wondering where people's motivations are. And I think that's a, right. that's a really serious question. Here, here's my issue, though. You just rattled off all the things that I like about the team that they would have to give up. <laughs> like, I like all those things right. about this team. The, the other issue is I think it costs you Forsberg. I, I, if you believe, I, I think there's another equation here. If you believe that Jack yeah. Eichel is definitively better than Forsberg, and I would argue that he is, if, if they both played 82 games, I would argue Jack Eichel's a, sm- a, sm- a small upgrade on Philip Forsberg. Mm-hmm. I don't see how it's possible to bring in a $10 million player and re-sign Philip Forsberg and Matthias Ekholm. So it's going to cost you one of those two guys, I think, if you were to do that. So again, we've already spent too much time on this because I don't think it's even a possibility with how much you'd have to give up, pay the money for him, and it might cost you a guy like Forsberg. Right. And and I think I would say 95% of the desire of Eichel being in gold is to play with Philip Forsberg. I mean, can you imagine Forsberg's productivity? skating with Jack Eichel, I mean, holy criminy, right? These guys would put up 80 points a season, in theory, if they can both stay healthy, 80 points a season, no problem. But again, it comes back to, you just did the tourist thing, you just signed Johansson, who some think is bad, a bad signing, I don't, but you, some people do, and you just signed Duchesne, which is a bad signing. You put all that together, and can you afford to take on a $10 million contract for a player who has not been able to stay healthy? I don't think the answer is yes here's where I'm at with this. And maybe this is sort of indicative of where the Preds fan base is. Cause we're, we can kind of transition into the, the two signings over the weekend. Tanner's, you know, mm-hmm. two years, $1.6 million, Matthew Olivier, two years, $1.5 million um, for $3 million. A, or, well, for one and a half million dollars a year for $3 million total for four years of service time, I'm getting Tanner's, you know, and Matthew Olivier to me, I'm not a, a capologist. Or, or a Corsi score expert, but but your production per dollar for me with Tanner Genoa and Matthew Olivier at, at one and a half million dollars roughly per season, I'll take that. I'll take that ratio and that that you know that uh, efficiency over the ten million for Eichel. I'm not comparing them to Jack Eichel, so don't at me. But it, it's not you can't operate in a vacuum. Like <laughs> the ten million dollar price tag is hanging there. Uh, I love these two deals for Janot and Olivier. They obviously protected Olivier for a reason. Um, they believe he can actually score goals. I think he's the difference between him and him, him and Janot and Trennan, I think, is that Janot has some upside scoring. Um, but they all are just, I think, so much fun to watch. They're throwback players that I enjoy watching from, like, they remind me of my childhood watching the NHL. So um, mm-hmm. uh, great, great contracts. Th- those are ideas. Those are concepts of, of efficiency. Jack Eichel is the opposite. Yeah, I agree with that. And let me address the Janelle thing real quick. And that's, you know, for that rate, it's, was it a million and a half total? Is that what it was? I'm not looking at the I think it was one point, at the moment. Either one five, or I think it was one six for Janelle and one five for basically the same kind. Yeah. 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 So for less than two million, I'll keep it vague, less than two million for two years uh, for a guy like Janelle, who, yes, you, he has not proven himself over a full season. That is absolutely true. But he, if Matt Duchesne does not score, those two goals in the season finale in a game that meant nothing. Matt, uh, Tanner Janot in his 15 games out goal scores Matt Duchesne, who scored eight million dollars or who scored an eight million dollar contract. So per year. So for hey, me, now, now you're doing you, your best Adam Bingen impersonation because I think he mentions that stat every single show. Well, I mean, it's 
you have to. I mean, I it's know, it's so telling, right? So the Olivier signing, I mean, I have no problem with it because of the value of it, of course. But I, I don't see a full-time slot for Olivier unless he becomes their net, net front presence guy in the power play, which they desperately need. And who better to move, or who better to plant in front of the net than a guy who's as big as Matthew Olivier who has a nasty streak, right? So... It's it's a no harm no foul signing, right? It's like when they signed Austin Watson a few years ago for a million dollars for a few seasons, right? It was like okay, like he's one of your top he's one of your top penalty killers, a million a year, you know. So Olivier and Janot are great signings because of the value that they bring to the team. But the thing is, is that you, they've got to find a role for each of those guys beyond what they've shown in their brief cup of coffee at the NHL level, right? So if Janot or Olivier can become power play. Uh, kind of net front presence guys that I think that they, that's, I mean, it'll be tremendous value over the next two years, right? Because they haven't had a guy like that since Hornfist. Maybe in like key games, they've kind of found a guy who's willing to go in there and get brutalized in front of the net. But overall, they haven't found that guy for, as, as a full-time player. So hopefully Olivier and Genoa, those big bodied guys with a little bit of a nasty streak who can score, they can kind of assume that role on both player play units and that will help alleviate the tension between Duchesne and Johansson and the <laughs> lack of production of the power play. Because if you think about it, if a power play is at least threatening at all for the Predators, those guys probably go up 10 points a season. Yeah, there's no question. What's interesting is I find I, – I, tell me if I'm wrong on this. Jeannot, Trennan, Olivier, they, they, all are very, they all have very similar games. And we know how good that Sissons line was with sort of any of the combinations of that group last year. Is it fair to say that there's only really kind of space for two of them regularly? Is that what you're, yeah, I think kind of, so. is that what you're kind of getting at? Like, it's just. Yeah. Yeah. Olivier, to me, is the odd odd man out. Not that he didn't prove himself, but all of a sudden, right. you're right. You've got three guys that are interchangeable, right? So I guess it depends on the opponent, right? If, if the it's a gluttony of fourth line player at the <laughs> right uh, that the Predators have. And so if you put Sissons as the anchor and then you can kind of interchange Trent and Olivier and Janot, now you've got three guys that can kind of rotate in and out. One guy's maybe banged up. You don't hesitate to go to another guy, whatever it is. It gives you flexibility. But at the same time, if, if one of those guys gets on a heater, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, it's it's going to be tough to get him out of the lineup. I, I you know, I was talking to, to Carl Taylor. If you go back and check out our episode with, with Carl Taylor from the Milwaukee Admirals, he just like beams when you talk about all three of those guys, because again, yeah. I think there is like an old school vibe to their game. Certainly something that this team uh, has been missing that that is for sure. Um, all right, let's get to the guys who have not yet been signed and we'll focus on the big ones. We talked a lot about this last week, so we don't, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. Um, arbitration deadline, I believe was Sunday, August 1st. So it doesn't really mean a whole lot. It just means that they can still negotiate and that they're trying to set a hearing. I don't believe a hearing has been set yet for any of these any of these guys, namely UC Saros, Ellie Tolvin, and Dante mm-hmm. Fabro. Um, I'll kind of like rehash what we talked about last week and kind of give you a chance to, to react. I, number one with Saros, I don't think they have any leverage. I don't think they have a, a, an immediate future without him. And he's probably in the five-year, $6 million range. If that's the contract that comes out, what is Jeremy K. Gover's reaction to, to five-year, $6 million per? So my reaction is... Uh, um... Let me detour that just a little bit. I tweeted this out a few weeks ago about how I think there's a clear plan for the National Predators in goal, right? I think that if the Predators, all things being equal, they would love to sign Saros for four years. And I say that because next year, obviously, he runs the show okay? because Rene is retired, right? But Connor Ingram, who's their, their, their that huge steal of a pickup they picked up from Tampa Bay for like a sixth-round pick or something like a, a while back, 
he had some personal struggles last year and dealt with those. And so he didn't get it, but like three games or whatever at the AHL level. But he was, he was like the guy to like be, okay, he's going to be the backup next season. But his, his tackling, his personal struggles are way more important. Okay. than sure, hockey, sure. but, uh, but that cost him that opportunity in my opinion. So he's going to go down and be the guy in Milwaukee. He'll be the starter in Milwaukee. Connor Ingram will be with Thomas Vomachka fresh out of UConn being his backup. Probably. My point is, is that that gives you Soros and then now Riddich, right? Who they signed as, as to back him up for one year. And then the next year, so 22-23, you've got Soros as the guy again with probably Ingram backing him up because now he'll right. be ready. Okay, then the next year, Askarov comes over from the KHL, which Tom Nolan verified on the, the recent media, uh, the pre-draft uh, media press conference. So now you have Soros and Ingram again, but then now Skarov is the guy in Milwaukee. And then the fourth year of that contract that, uh, that I've, I'm put, throwing out in, in theory is Soros and Askarov. And then what that give what that lets you do if you're the predators is it lets you decide over time is Soros the guy like the true like the the Rene the the torch passer right sixteen the guy. years yeah 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 or is a Scarov the guy now you won't know about a Scarov but you'll know more about Soros after three or four in this case full seasons as, a, as the starting goaltender so now you can either trade Soros at the deadline for some serious assets or you can trade a Scarov at that point. And get a lot out of him because he's like the the second coming, right, of Patrick Waugh or whatever. So you've got so th- now that gives them. Options. I wouldn't trade if the they second. go five years, Braden. If they go five years, they're not messing with that plan fully, but it it, it lessens their options at the end. Well, and I think that's what Saros's camp is currently working on is getting the term. Um, right. I also would not advise trading the future Patrick Waugh. Like I just, I wouldn't. That doesn't seem like a sound strategy, Cotton. But agreed. You know. <laughs> agreed. But if, again, if if Saros is is a Vesna candidate. Maybe not a finalist, but a Vesna candidate in all four of those seasons. I mean, it's well, yeah. I mean, at, at, at that you know, point, it, it gives you the chance to do that. At that point, he's the guy, like you said, Pekka, sixteen right. years, twelve years, or whatever. I, I still right. think his. I, I have been the biggest biggest proponent of keeping Saros and giving him a chance to be the guy. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. especially on this show where where Adam has sort of been hesitant to to admit that, but <laughs> I, I I think that. I do think that there is some limited upside. I, I mean, if there's, I know it's a really tiny, tiny window above the best. This is going to, I got to, I'm going to have to explain this. I think Saros's best is pretty damn good, but there's a chance that Askarov's best is better, right? Right. And, and that, and I think that's the win, the tiny little window you're shooting for above Saros is like, Vasilevsky window, right? Like that's yes. the, or like you said, Wa or Brodeur. I think you got some Brodeur comparisons coming out as well. So, yep. I, I do think that having opportunity to work together and compete for a year or two is a really good plan. Um, Ellie Tolvin and Dante Fabro. Again, they haven't even set a hearing yet. So as of the time we're recording this on Wednesday morning, mm-hmm. uh, there's no telling. By the time Thursday rolls around, you could they, they could have already signed him. But uh, I would expect nothing until maybe the end of the weekend. Um, Dante Fabro to me is a prime candidate for a prove it bridge deal. Two and a half million, three years, something like that probably is what it feels like for me with him. And then Tolvanen, um, I, I wouldn't mind the old Cali Yarncroke special here with him. I, I would not mind giving him, and we talked about this last week, I would not mind giving him the, that that extra cash, bump it from a million and a half to two and give him five years like and just – bank on him being like, do you think you've seen enough out of Tolvanen to say, we want him on the roster starting. He's talented enough, 200 foot player under John Hines for the next five seasons. 
I think, yeah, I think there could be as long as he's a power play guy. I think if he, he's a, he seems to be kind of a streaky player, almost like a James Neal, but it's also very, very early to make that call because, you know, he's only got 50 NHL games under his belt or whatever. So maybe 60, whatever. I'm not looking at the stats, but my point is he's had a cup of coffee at the NHL level in the grand scheme of things. And he's been streaky during that time, but he's also very, very young. So yes, I agree that the Cal Yarncroak type deal would be great. I don't mind giving him term as long as there's less money, but I also don't mind giving him a little bit more money based on his promise than, you know, that he, that he is because then, then if he turns into a 30 goal scorer that you think he can be, well, now you got to, you know, three and a half million dollar player for however long. So I have no problem with that. One thing I do have to mention though, is because we're talking about these, these arbitration things and for the fans that don't understand, this is also a negotiation tactic, right? For the player and for the team, right? Because they remember they can negotiate all the way up until the hearing and actually until the ruling actually. So they could actually go to the hearing, which we've seen before and it gets ugly in there, but they could have the hearing and they could still sign the player before the actual ruling. So all it is, is, both parties trying to get as much time as possible to see if the other person will blink. Yep. So just keep that in mind as as we all oh Tolvin and Saros aren't right. it'll be it's fine. Gonna, yeah, I don't I don't think anybody's yeah. freaking out. Although I will say I don't want Saros to get to the hearing. No, got, you do not want no. If you're the Predators, you do not want that. He's got the same agent as Shea Weber, and that got a little contentious. And so there's a little history lesson there for you, Preds fans. Um, all right, so there there you go. An update on the contract status. Uh, uh, I guess debunking the Jack Eichel myth to some degree. Uh, when yes. we come back, of course, I want to hear some stories from the beat, stories from the locker room about your experiences with some of the greatest Nashville Predators of all time. Does that sound good? That sounds wonderful. We will do that when we, when we return with Jeremy K. Gover, of course, uh, the Nashville sports correspondent for AP Radio, former locker room reporter for the Nashville Preds Radio Network. We will get some stories from the beat from Gover when we return right here on the Gold Standard. The Gold Standard is brought to you by... It's brought to you by Jaspers. That is Steve Cavendish, everybody, of Lamestream Sports and the Nashville Banner. How are you, Steve Cavendish? Or maybe I'm Adam Vinion and nobody nobody can tell the difference. I don't think anyone can tell the difference, Steve. I don't, I don't think so either. Are you jealous? I asked you this last time because I think you filled in one time before. Are you, are you jealous still? Have you become jealous? Love the fact that Adam Bingen and the Gold Standard have a drink named after them at Jasper's called the Gold Standard. It's got whiskey in it. You could go drink it while listening to the Gold Standard, although that would be very antisocial. I'm still bitter. I'm still mad. I, 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 I'm, I may never, ever get over it. Screw you, Adam Binion, for you <laughs> and your, uh, you, you and your podcast having your own drink. I think like, well, let's, I, let's see if Adam listens to this. <laughs> His own show. <laughs> I, I have a, I had, you know what? You just kind of gave me it. Like you're very bitter. Lamestream doesn't really lend itself to any sort of like actual drink at Jasper's for them to create. We've already been through this and down this road many times, but, but I do enjoy bitters in, in like a goal, you know, an old fashioned, you know, one of those drinks. So maybe we can come up with something that's really bitter. Like there's some, there's some really hoppy West coast beers that maybe that we could, we could get you. Maybe, maybe the, maybe the lamestream is like, is like a, like a West coast IPA and a shot of Malort. (laughs) Is that the, is that the stuff out of Chicago? That's that stuff is that stuff is terrible. There's a there's a guy there's a journalist here in town named Chaz Sisk who works for WPLN and used to work for the Tennessee and who swears by this stuff. And oh, and Chaz, if you if you are listening to this, which I guarantee he's not, I don't think he likes hockey, but 
that that stuff is awful and terrible and 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 you're wrong you're you're absolutely wrong about it everyone tweet at him and tell him that he's wrong and then, <laughs> and be like why are all these predators fans tweeting me about my lord what is going on <laughs> but yeah like a really bitter west coast extra double hoppy ipa it could be something very nice for Steve Cavendish to have his own drink at Jasper's because it is the next evolution of the sports bar and they are constantly looking to make your experience better at Jasper's. They've already given you a free parking lot. They've already given you a fantastic chef who's created a fantastic menu. They've given you air conditioning, right? Like, come on. It's I mean, they it's came up with air conditioning. Come on. <laughs> They're giving you legitimate happy hours. That make that put all the other happy hours in the city to shame. Four to six every day, and then six to ten. Have we mentioned the free days. parking? Did we tell you there's free parking? There's, there's free, free parking. There's always free parking. And let's get Steve a drink, man. Let's get him a let's get him a drink. More importantly, let's just talk about lamestream sports here in the middle of uh yes. and, and, yes. and and let's talk about another podcast in the middle of this one. You're doing the ad for Adam Vingan. You're doing him a favor. So you absolutely can promote your own podcast, by the way. Totally fine. Great. Gold standard Adam, brought you, to you by Adam, Jaspers. You, Adam, you suck. <laughs> if you listen to this, <laughs> go to Jasper's. <sighs> it's the next evolution of the sports bar. All right, Gover. Adam and I are both media nerds, uh, total media nerds. In <laughs> fact, so, so much so that I actually have another show um, that's about just media in general. And he, He's, he's begging to be on that show because he loves talking about the beef. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding. We, and you can talk. Of course uh, he is. You can talk. You can talk all the trash you want about uh, about Adam Bingham while he's not here because he's not here to defend himself. So if you'd like to to share stories about when James Neal maybe got in his face about an article, you can you can do that. you can do that if you want to. I won't share that one because uh, I wasn't there to actually witness it. I would like to keep to the keep to my 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 firsthand knowledge. Yes, for first uh, <laughs> primary sources only here on the show. Yes, uh, yes, exactly. So obviously, you know, you like me love this game. Um, there's a part of us that loves the team as a fan, but obviously has to put on a hat to to report on the team. But it doesn't right. mean you can't have experiences with individuals that sort of allow you to see the human side of things. And I think Pecorine is, you know, you were tweeting about this when he was sort of retiring. We were both there for the final home game for Pecorine and you've covered him for over a decade. And I'd just love you to recount some of the most memorable moments and some of the stories that, that you've got from, from covering a, a guy like Pekka for so many years. Sure. So I'll give you a couple of them. The first one is the most, is the most meaningful one. And you're a dad, so you'll understand this. We had Pecorine on a previous life. I worked. Uh, I worked at Section303.com. Cody Holland and I uh, headed up that site and uh, grew it from just kind of a Nashville-centric comedy site to actual news blog and uh, covered a bunch of events and stuff. Anyway, we had the 30 podcast and and uh, one of our last shows actually was Pecorine, who was a finalist. And I don't mean like finals, like five or six people. I mean finals, like the last two players it was Claude Giroux, I think, and then Pecorine for the cover of the NHL EA sports video game. And I think it was 2012. It had to be 2012, obviously because of the story, uh, 2012. And so, uh, Rene joined us on the show, uh, for eight minutes. And as you know, Braden, but maybe the listeners don't <clears throat> is that when you're in radio and you're producing, uh, and you get like guests like this, they're kind of doing the car wash, right? So they're going to go on in Detroit. They're going to go on in Vancouver. They're going to go on in New York. They're going to go on in Nashville and they're going to go on in Miami. Well, there's a very strict hard stop for all of these, 
So if your interview doesn't start until late, you're only getting two or three minutes. I mean, you got to stop at 1248 or whatever it is so they can go to the next one. And uh, I, I bring that up because we had eight minutes with him or whatever, and he was obviously great about not only his career in Nashville at the time and the, what they were doing, but also the EA Sports game and, and all that. But at the end, we were signing off, trying to be respectful of time, and he said, uh, he said oh, hey, Jeremy, congratulations on the birth of your baby. That was seven days later. So he knew that I'd had our first and only child seven days ago and made a point on his own to bring it up. And he had no reason to know that. And so I was floored. And uh, I still have the sound clip, uh, of course, uh, to this day. And so it is the most meaningful comment that a athlete in my 11 years follow, uh, covering sports has ever made to me. Uh, I can, you know, Victor Bartley was the first to call me by name in the locker room. I mean, you know, I got all those, <laughs> you know, really funny moments that Robbie Stanley and I can go on and on about. But, uh, but that was the most meaningful comment was it came from Pecorine on his own, didn't have to do it. And he, and he added time to the call to do it. So uh, that was very, very special. The other thing is, I know he, he, Pecorine, before he scored the goal against Chicago in Chicago, he, kind of had always talked about, well, with me anyway, that he that was one of the things he wanted to do in the NHL was score a goal. And so every training camp, when it was appropriate, not during the season, but in the training camp, I would ask him, say, hey, is this the year you can try to score a goal? And he'd always you know, shrug it off, you know, and all that. And I even did a, a profile piece about it. And uh, so when he finally scored, I was actually on, I was somewhere traveling with my family, I think, and uh, he scored in Chicago. I, and I hated that I couldn't be there. Uh, in the locker room waiting for him on the way because we had talked about it so much like probably four years in a row we talked talked about it <laughs> and so to see him actually do it and live that dream was was really really great and but and I feel like yeah okay it's obviously really cool for everybody but I had a I had an indirect if you will personal connection with that feat because I'd asked him about it so often and made a point to do so so to see him actually do it was really great uh, yeah I don't again I've said this Adam said this you you've said like you just said it too. Like there's, I don't think there's a, a professional athlete. I have more admiration for personally yeah. uh, than, than Pecorine. So um, how about some of the other guys? I know Ryan Ellis is, is certainly not the uh, loquacious type. Um, he, he sort of leads, <laughs> he sort of leads behind the scenes and by example, uh, but always sort of a professional. Um, and, and I think that's a great way to put it. I just, you know, again, he, he never, He's not, he's not the best quote. He's not the guy you're going to go to after a game. Um, but when he does speak, and it's some of the times it's happened after seasons, right, where he said we need to be he, – he's the guy who, to, to hold himself accountable, you know? Yeah, professional is a great way to put it. So uh, I'll give you two uh, – one kind of general one and one very specific one that's not going to make him look good, but it's still funny. <laughs> the first one is – the first one is uh, Ryan was, was one of my go-to guys early on. Because I, I was there from the beginning of his NHL career, right? So it was kind of like, okay, well, I feel comfortable with this guy, right? And uh, so I would go over there. And he'd always give a good quote, uh, you know, or, or two. But he was a man of few words, and they were very direct. So it was very much a, we're not, the power play is not good enough. What more do you want me to say? Something like that. That looks great in print. Right. But, but when you're, excuse me, when you're trying to get an answer out of him for more radio esque right. stuff, it's not great. Right. So it's kind of like, okay, great. Thanks for the three second quote. So, so there's, there's that. But he, but he was always professional. He's always nice, if you will. Like, you know, when it, when it came time to do all that stuff, he understood the role. He understood that was our jobs and he, he played along. But the one that doesn't make him look so great, which again is fine, it's his prerogative, uh, is I was there for, uh, I think it was, a, it was a day off practice. 
and he wasn't, he was just about to come back from an injury, one of his many injuries. And I asked Kevin Wilson, the Predators uh, media relations director, I asked him uh, if I could get Ryan. I told him I understand that he's still technically hurt and that he doesn't need to talk to me, but I just need him for, I think it was for, like, for a PK Subban story. It was something, it, was, it, wasn't, it had nothing to do with him. It was something completely different that I just needed his, maybe Roman Yossi and the Norris, something like that. And so something everybody else would have been happy to talk to me about because it wasn't about him or his injury, right? And, uh, and I, Ryan Ellis is walking across the hall. I see him. And Kevin goes, Ryan, are you available? He looks up, sees me, and then goes, no, I'm good, and then kept walking. <laughs> now, he, he, he could have been joking. Like he, like, he could have been saying that in jest. Like, he's not going to come over and talk to me. But he could have, like, looked at me and made a joke about that. I don't know. But it, it played off as awfully serious. Like, he's like, oh, him? Absolutely not. And then kept walking. So there was that. You're like the nicest human being I've ever met in my life. I don't, uh, you know, I, I, you're very you know, ethical uh, in your reporting. Like, I don't, you know, you wouldn't have been like patting him on the leg. Like, how's the knee, bud? <laughs> <laughs> like, Can you take a kick or two? Right. Like, that's you not, know. stand on one leg, show me, show me. Like, that's not what you would have done. <laughs> So. Right. And, you know, and I, and I knew that it was about Roman Yossi or so, Subban or somebody, or Rene or somebody. I knew that I was going to ask him about that. In fairness, he didn't know that. And he didn't have to talk to us, which actually goes back to the other Rene story I was going to share with you, Braden, is that in Chicago in 2015, when the Preds got ousted in the first round, Robbie Stanley and I went up and took that trip. And after the locker room was, as you know, when you go into the locker room or after the game is over, you go into the locker room, you get whatever players you're going to get, you go get the coach and then you head back upstairs. That's how it always is in my 11 years of doing sports. That is exactly what's happened 99.9% of the time. In this particular case, again, season's over. They just lost. Ready to get to Chicago. The season's over. It was a one-goal game, super close. A game they could have arguably won. Uh, we're in LaViolette's press conference, and we get a text message from Kevin saying, hey, you need to head back to the locker room when you're done. And we're like, okay, that's weird. So we head back to the locker room. The only person there, the locker room is totally cleaned out. The only person there is Pecorino. He's waiting on us to do our jobs in a game that he just lost his season's over. And I, and that, and he didn't have to do that. He could have been like, well, nobody's here. I'm out of the shower. See you guys. Like, you know, and just avoided us. And instead he did the opposite of what Ryan Ellis did. Ryan Ellis was like, Nope. And then, cause he didn't have to talk. Rene right. was like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll make time for these guys. Yeah. The, the stories about Rene are endless like that of just being a, yep. be, not just being a professional, but being like a kind human to other humans yes. and having perspective and stuff. Um, being available like that, sort of like the opposite of PK Subban, um, <laughs> wait, wait, <laughs> wait, waiting around. Um, I always remember, and I don't know what your memories were of PK Subban. I wasn't intending to ask you about this, but it just kind of came up mm-hmm. because the number of times I was in the locker room where I'd like see him go change in like a, like you'd get into the locker room and he would already be gone. Like he would already be yeah. into his own special space, his own private dressing area where his suits were being pressed and his hats were being tailored. And, um, and I loved Look, I, I love the guy. I love his personality. I think it was great for the sport, great for the city, great for the organization. Um, he, there, there's just been moments where he's so distant um, that it felt, it felt he's, he's just very hard to approach. Because uh, he is a big star. Yeah, like, so, you, so you get around him, two, you know you're in the room with P.K. Subban. Yeah, so let me give you two quick things on that. The first thing is, uh, I can't fault him, really. Because when he was available, when he made himself available, he was great. Yeah. And he did it yeah. so often. And, like, you know, outside the locker room and whatever. I mean, he, he, he was so available and so media-centric that it's kind of like, look, if you want to take a week off, dude, I get it. You know, like I, I kind of, but there, you're right. There were also times where he scored two goals and was like the star of the game, whatever. And maybe he got burned on a breakaway or something. And he didn't want to talk to people because he was whatever, for whatever reason. And 
so we now we can't have that soundbite from the star of the game. Like, yes, there was definitely times of that, but I, I, I found it very hard to, the human part of me found it very hard to fault him because I'm like, look, you're here for us so often. And this is the second part of the story. Yeah. And this is where it gets really difficult as, as a reporter sometimes is uh, I hadn't talked to him. So on the, on the radio network back in the day, I had a post game interview every single game with, with a home game with players. Right. And, uh, so, and I was getting, you know, Matt Irwin and Philip Forsberg and all. I was, I was trying to run the gamut, right? You got to kind of space them out. You can't go to Ryan Johansson every single game, right? Or Pecorine every single game. So it was like game, I don't know, home game 30 or something. It was like March or February. And I hadn't talked to P.K. Subban yet. And again, it was because of respect. He's, he's there for us so often all the time. I was like, I'm not going to bother him. So I finally asked for him. He wasn't available. So I pivoted and went to Yannick Weber or whoever. But... I bring this up because <laughs> I mean, he was he was always great with us, by the way. Uh, but I love uh, talking to Matt but, Irwin, by the way. I love talking. Hey, to Matt. Oh, there, yeah, Weber and Irwin were great. Uh, so I bring this up because uh, later that night I had mentioned on Twitter I asked for PK Subban. He was not available. I, you know, I, I kind of explained it right, and and a fan accused me of being racist because no, listen, because <laughs> but yeah, because I consciously hadn't talked to him all season post game. <laughs> So, as somebody who you're such a racist, in, over <laughs> yeah, as somebody who as somebody who believes in, in, in equal rights, like so hardcore, uh, it, that was a very it wasn't something that I could be like, oh, you're an idiot and pass. I mean, I did think that, but but it was so hard to explain the art form of going into a locker room and trying to decipher which players you're going to pull from, which ones you don't want to bother, which ones obviously don't look like they're interested, which one, like what, for, for radio, right? It, it was very difficult to kind of, okay, this is yeah. the, the kind of flow of all that. And so when I admittedly said I haven't bothered him all season because he's there for us so much, he does so much media stuff, I didn't want to like have him do yet another thing. And for someone to call me racist because God, I was dare the only you. black guy on the team, yeah, it was just, that was... <laughs> That's that hung with me for a long time, and obviously several years later, because I'm still thinking about it. So. Yeah, I was gonna say people don't forget. Uh, Twitter is a terrible place. Yeah. <laughs> Twitter is a terrible place most of the time, uh, Jeremy. There's yeah. no question about that. Gover. Um, yeah. All right, so Arvidsson and Cali, of course, as well. I've I told my Arvidsson story uh, last week on the show. I didn't I didn't have a ton of interaction with Cali Arncroke. There's certainly a language barrier there uh, for yeah. both those guys. Arvidsson, I think that for me, the takeaway from Arvidsson is that he's got this sort of like kind of fun, loose personality, but you just don't see it very often. Um, whereas Ellis, I could see being very serious all the time in his private life. <laughs> like, right, like, right, right, right. Like Arvidsson sort of has this fun loving side, but it's just, it's harder to, to sort of get that to come out when, um, it, you know, again, professional athlete, language barrier, all this different stuff with, with those guys. Any, any good stories from Arvidsson or Cali? No, I'll just, I'll be, I bet I can summarize them in uh, probably a couple sentences. The Arvidsson, Yarncroke, and in turn, Kevin Fiala were all great. I think I think Kevin Fiala learned from those two guys, by the way. They're all, they were all great for the first couple questions. They tried their best. You know, the language barrier, you mentioned that. They, they, they tried their best. They gave it their best effort. You know, they tried to give you something. But they didn't, I don't think they understood that it was radio, and so you, you need more than 45 seconds. Right, you can't just put a forty-five second interview. It oh, I, I so, did an entire one-hour show with Victor Arvidsson and Kevin Fiala as my guests. Oh boy! So you you know well that might yeah. So you know what I think I'm going to say. So they were great for the first couple questions, and then after that, it seemed like they had the attitude of like 
this has gone on way too long. You're making, you're, you're ruining my, like you're wasting my time. <laughs> right. All of a sudden the answers got real short, right? <laughs> They're like five sentences, five words long. Uh, it was, became very apparent they were done with whatever you were doing. So, uh, it's, they were always nice and they, they never were like really, or, you know, they never flashed you a look or anything, yeah. but they were just, the, the first couple answers were always good. And then after that, it was like, I don't have time for this. F- favorite. Favorite post game interview personality that that fans may not expect, because like you Colton mentioned, you, we, okay, yeah, there you go, that's a good one. Yeah, so the so uh, when Mike Fisher scored that double overtime winner against the Sharks, uh, uh, I got to Colton Sissons f- first. Everybody was like throwing it was like throwing a party, and there was actually really great. But Sissons came over and he was so gracious and so over the moon. And you can hear it in his voice. He's just like, I thought that game would never end. Like, it was just like all, you know, like all this personality was like coming out, you know, because he was probably exhausted and didn't decipher me as part of the media. He just was just on autopilot and was like, oh, you know, I, I know this guy. So let's let's be friends and talk about it, you know. Uh, so I was and he does that routinely. But that was the that was my favorite post game interview was Colton Sissons after the double overtime win against Chicago or against awesome. uh, San Jose. I, there's another one that like, I, I one of a couple of my favorite ones that you wouldn't imagine. Like Ryan Hartman was a really good conversationalist. Yep. Like I, good. I love doing interviews with Ryan Hartman because like he could talk about like, Oh, I'm reading Anthony Kiedis new book or about the chili peppers <laughs> or, or let's talk about golf in, in the low country. Like he could just, he could go so many different places um, and, and, you know, again, it was a short period of time that he was here in Nashville, but, uh, he's always one that stands out to me, um, as one of the more like, man, I wish we would have had a lot more interviews with him, you know, like that kind of, that kind of thing. Yeah. Matt, Matt Irwin, Yannick Weber, who I mentioned earlier, they were excellent. Uh, Jared Tenorti, as much as I bag on him was excellent. <laughs> um, you know, the, it, it is the French guys. Now, I mean, again, the fans might make the lazy, excuse me, the lazy argument of like, well, you know, they're never they never get talked to. So of course they're going to be more talkative, but that's not entirely true. There's plenty yeah. of guys that don't get talked to very often that do not care. And they're thankful they don't get talked to. So those three guys were excellent. I mean, you could ask, they were the, they were the Barry trots of players, right? As far as media goes, <laughs> you could ask one question three minutes later, you get your second question in. I mean, it was excellent, excellent for radio. And for print, maybe not, but for radio, it was excellent. You, you talked about bagging on Tenorti. <laughs> um, there's there's a lot sorry of, i had to work that in no 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 you're good because 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 <laughs> it's well it's part of the job like fans don't particularly love the, the fact that the fa- the predators re-signed ben harper it is what it is um right. but there's always going to be like you can't do this job without being critical i think you can do it without you, you never need to be sort of unfair or personal about it but i think you have to be critical when right, critical right. calls for you already said like well ryan johansson needs to be more consistent matt duchene blah 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 like have you ever had a moment where you you were critical of a player or a performance or something, and and then ha- had a player respond to you in some way, shape, or form? I don't mean necessarily with with like fist fights here. I'm just saying, has anybody no, ever you been like, hey, um, that that uh, you know, I don't I don't know how I feel about X, Y, or Z that you said the other day. Uh, I've never had that that I know of. Um, my closest story to that was <laughs> this is not going to surprise you at all. James Neal. <laughs> uh, he's always he's very standoffish. Doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to talk to anybody, uh, media wise. Uh, but seems to be a cool guy. Like if you walk in the locker room, he's jabbering it up with somebody, and they're yelling across the hall about fantasy football. I mean, you know, it's and then you get to talk to him, and it's just not the same. But at that same Chicago game in Chicago, that playoff game that uh, Renee waited for us, 
we were there pregame, and I and I went up to we were talking. James and I were talking about I don't even know what, and I was surprised for like a minute and a half, and I, he'd never talked to me that long before. And so I was like, okay, <laughs> this is my chance. I've, I haven't had James Neal as a pregame guest the entire season because it's James Neal, and I didn't really feel like dealing with all that. But we're we got a good rapport going, so. I, Let's I'm gonna, try. I go, go for it. So I go, yeah. I go, James, do you mind if we do a pregame? He said, no, it's fine. Sit down. So I was like, oh, you invited me to sit down. He's must be in a good mood today. And I sat <laughs> and I sat down and I got out my recorder and I go, uh, and I was like, hey, well, thank you for joining us. The National Party Radio Network. And Jeremy K. Gover downstairs here at United Center with James Neal. Uh, James, and I, the very first question was, you know, the, the I don't know, something generic. I always start off with a softball, right? It's like right, the, right, right. use of the game or whatever it is. <clears throat> and uh, immediately... Well, uh, you know, she need to be better, and um, I just think, uh, you know, if we score some more, we'll uh, we'll win the game. And right then, I was like, "Oh, here we go." <laughs> so, <laughs> so be- because of his reputation, I fully believe, even to this day, he set me up for that. He was calculated the entire time. He was going to be real nice to me, and he's, I was going to ask him for an interview, and then he was going to be a total jerk, and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> I, think that, I think that is a great way to end because you know what? Sometimes getting interviews, just like the expansion draft, it's a business decision, Jeremy. It is a business it's decision. A business that's right. Decision. Uh, real, real, real quickly here, let's wrap up with your thoughts on the Central Division. Um, I, I think the Preds, we had them last week sort of clearly ahead of uh, or two weeks ago, I think we had them clearly ahead of uh, uh, of the Coyotes and the Blackhawks. Uh, Vegas odds have them sort of in that six seven range in the division. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you? I know Vingen feels that they can be a little bit higher up. I could see them if things break right, being a bubble playoff team. Um, in particular, not not knowing uh, what other moves are are coming potentially. But w- w- where where should expectations be for this team heading into this season? Expectations should be a non playoff team. I believe that they are closer to four and five. So they are a bubble. I agree with Adam. They're a bubble playoff team. But that requires Ryan Johansson to play more consistent during the regular season. And it can it, it also requires Matt Duchesne to be a 50-point player, which is not asking a whole lot for an $8 million player, by the way. No. A uh, 50-point player. So for those who are wondering, he averages 47 points a season in his career. So 50 points, is it's asking a little bit above that, but it's basically asking him to be an average Matt Duchesne. That's basically what I'm asking. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but again, like I said earlier, the power play has a lot to do with that. If they can find a threat, a threatening power play with some consistency, those two problems fix themselves. And now all of a sudden you've got, again, they're, they're a playoff team. So for me, I think they're around the four or five range. But if I'm a Predators fan, I'm thinking, okay, they're a non-playoff team this year. <clears throat> and here's why I say that, and I'll keep it short. Philip Forsberg needs to be re-signed. Matthias Ekholm needs to be re-signed. Uh, how do those guys feel about their good friend Victor Arvidsson going away in a trade and Cal Yarncroft being left exposed and selected by Seattle in the expansion draft? How do they feel about that? Are they on board with a competitive rebuild? Are they on board with that? If they are on board with that, and by the way, for the sake of argument, I say Matthias Ekholm is way more on board with that than Philip Forsberg. His attitude just tells me 100% that Ekholm is more, uh, more like, I'll sign for whatever. Forsberg's yeah, yeah. like, no. Uh, but if those guys, two, if those two guys are on board with it, then I think this could be a playoff team. If they're not on board with it, and the Predators have to trade those players, or even one of the two players, remember, the safety net here is next year's draft is extremely deep. So they may be picking their shot right now saying, well, if we make the playoffs, great, but if we don't, we might be getting a franchise player next summer. And if that's the case, this is the this is the season to mess around. But This is the season to t- tank for somebody is what you're saying. It's, for lack of a better phrase. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I don't know. If, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, like I, said, I wouldn't use the word tank just because no one's saying lose every game for like the you know the next Connor McDavid or whatever. <clears throat> what I'm saying is you're going to get a Jack Eichel type player in theory in the top, let's say, eight picks. So if you're a lottery team, you at least have wow. to look forward to that. Okay, so so that it's that deep. So that is that the draft is that deep. So that's the deal. I think they're a French playoff team as of this day, August fourth, with no other move, barring no other moves. But if they have to trade Forsberg or Ekholm or both, then that there's a silver lining, and that is a possible franchise player in the draft, and a, and a potential two two first round picks if you can get a first round pick for Philip Forsberg, which I would assume you, you you should be able to do potentially. Let's we'll see. Um, I definitely right. want them to resign Ekholm because you traded Ryan Ellis away. So <laughs> I think I think yes, but I would I would I would argue though that Fabro or the Carrier's emergence uh, has has really made Fabro expendable. And so for me, I would not be surprised at all if they use Fabro as a trade chip once they get him signed. Interesting. To keep yeah. Ekholm. That's right. That was the connection. Sorry. To keep Ekholm. Right yeah. Now. No, I, I, I think Carrier, I think Carrier went blue way past Fabro. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's even close uh, on my rankings. That's, that's for sure. Uh, Jeremy, where can people catch all of your wonderful work, man? Tell everybody where they can follow you, where they can listen to you, all that great stuff. Uh, you can follow me at Govertime on Twitter. That's overtime with a G Govertime. Uh, on Twitter, and then of course you can catch my work at uh, on the AP Radio uh, local affiliates all over North America. Uh, subscribe to AP Radio, and when I am assigned a Nashville game, whether it be a Preds playoff game or maybe a, a Tom Brady visits Nashville or whatever high market Nashville <laughs> game, you will hear me on the AP Radio as well. What's what? What does the K really stand for? What is it really? That's a very clever question. Really stands for it really stands for Kent. But <laughs> former NHL player Stu Grimson, I was hosting my my second. Uh, Pred's pre and post game show when Darren McFarlane was out on vacation and I got the chance to do the honor to do that and I uh, filled in for him and uh, I had I was talking to Stu down the line and we were on, I was I was wrapping up with them from the call from the booth or whatever they do and uh, and Willie says Jeremy what does the K stand for and Stu Grimson breaks in and goes it stands for knowledge so that's so and a former NHL player Stu Grimson gave me the nickname knowledge but it really stands for Kent there you have it folks the mystery has been solved. It does not, in fact, stand for knowledge. But you know what? You got, you got you got plenty of that, man. So thank you so much for hanging out with us this week. We really appreciate it. Of course, make sure you go to Jasper's. Check out the, the great menu, free parking, great sight lines for all the great games. You can watch the Olympics. You got uh, football coming here in a couple of weeks. You got camp opening up everywhere. So uh, great happy hours at Jasper's. Of course, the great, wonderful folks from Four Top Hospitality. So make sure you go check that out uh, as well. Jeremy K. Gover, former locker room reporter for the Nashville Predators. Radio Network and Nashville correspondent, sports correspondent for AP Radio. Thank you so much, my man. Uh, for Jeremy Gover, my name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. This has been the Gold Standard on the 440 Sports Network.